Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Go ahead and grab the Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, It's burgundy. If you don't have one at home, maybe it's on your phone, your tablet, pull it out. And turn to Titus. It's in the back. It's a very small book, so if you're not careful, you will pass it. It's only three chapters. Um, But what you've stumbled upon today is we're starting a five-week series walking through the entire book. So I don't know if you've ever walked through an entire book of the Bible. How many of you have ever done that? Just verse by verse. Oh, that's good. That's good. Some of you, this is the first time you will ever do this, and that is so cool. We're so excited to be able to walk through Titus. Today, I'm going to introduce you to him and kind of tell you a little bit of the background. Um, But first, I just want to say that when I get in my 80s, one, many of you will not be here. Many of you will not be here. Uh, Jerry may still be here. (laughs) But when I get in my 80s, I want to be as cool as Jerry Cardillo. Yeah, I do. Man. You wouldn't know this, but Jerry's in his 80s, and he's like the suavest most. He's just laid back, and I'm like, how do you... How do you become that cool? Uh, um, I haven't figured it out yet, brother. Um, But what Jerry would tell you is that over time, Jesus has made Jerry who Jerry is. And um, I loved his song today. There's a time for everything. There's a time for church on Sundays, right? Right, 10 a.m., 10 a.m., invite your friends. There's a time to argue. Don't you know there's a time to get into it? Sometimes you have to get into it. I just had a conversation with a good friend this week, and I said, sometimes we have to recognize that there's a problem, and there's a time to get into it. There's a time for everything. Our church has been through a a season of loss. The Bible says there's a time for loss. There's a time to live, there's a time to die, and in this season, especially, and I just want to recognize Ben and Joe who are here this morning by God's grace, Ben and Joe have been in this season of loss where Joe lost her father, Ben lost his mother just just within the last couple weeks, and so um, I want to take a moment, because there's also a time to pray. And so this morning, I just want to take time to pray, pray for you, pray for your needs, pray for your hearts. Um, So would you just, maybe you haven't prayed this morning. 
Would you do that with me right now? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that um, there is a time for everything, but you are in control of all of it. And, and this morning, I pray for each of those that are here this morning that are walking through times of craziness, times of abundance, times of joy, times of sorrow, times of confusion. God, I, I specifically pray for Ben and Joe this morning, God, as they um, are walking through this time. Thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for their um, walk with you that they live out in front of all of us, God. But would you strengthen their hearts, strengthen all of our hearts this morning as we dive into Titus, that we would be different when we leave here. God, that this is not just something to check off the list, but this is something that is going to be life-transforming this morning. Would you use this time to change us, God? And we ask this in Christ's name. Everyone said, amen. Um, my alarm clock goes off at different times, but uh, I live and die by my calendar. I am so busy. Anybody busy? Do you feel like life is just busy? Um, I live and die by my calendar, and so I have scheduled into my calendar all types of things. I have in my calendar um, date night with my wife. You know why? Because it's important, right? Um, I have Bible and prayer time scheduled into my calendar. I do it the same time every time. And the problem is, over the years, I have run into this phrase many, many times, and I have a growing problem with it. And it's the phrase, Jesus is the most important part of my life. Um, because, take a moment. That's happened twice now and it really freaks me out, I'm going to be honest with you. I keep hearing this phrase, Jesus is the most important part of my life. And what I want to pose to you this morning is that Jesus should not be the most important part of your life. We live in a society where everything is compartmentalized. Some of us are better than others at putting things in boxes. Like, uh, I do very well at keeping my emotions in a box. Like, you, you very rarely will see me emotional. My wife is different. She, that part just infiltrates everything. And some of you may, may like, tie in with that. But we compart the, the challenges is we schedule our calendars and we schedule our vacations and we schedule our devotions and our prayer. What ends up happening is Christ becomes part of our lives and not all of it. He becomes part of our lives instead of all of it. It's, it's, we we kind of look at it like a pie graph. Like, have you ever seen a pie graph? Right, it's a circle, and it shows different percentages and parts. And um, so, some of us, like I spend fifty percent of my time eating. I love it. Many of your pie charts will look different than mine. Some of you spend fifty percent of your time gossiping. Some of Look, I'm, not, I'm just here to tell you the truth. 
50, some of you may spend a portion of your time with your kids. You know, kids have a slice of that. Family has a slice of that. And many of us would diagram our lives and put Christ as a, a slice of the pie. And what the problem with that is that is completely opposite to what the Bible says. He isn't supposed to be the most important part of you. In fact, life is Christ. Christ is life. It's instead of a pie graph, I would say it's like a hub and spokes. So so everything, my marriage, my my serving at church, my finances, all of it centers and, and rotates around Christ. Christ is my life. And but but in America we've we've got this idea that we come to Christ and then we give him a slice. I'll give him my Sunday morning. But I'm not it's not going to affect my marriage. Right? I'm not I'm, I'm going to be a godly man at church but not in my house. So do you see the problem there with this phrase Jesus is the most important part? And the scary thing is most of us live this way. You know what the so say I get married. I am married. <laughs> My wife is like, wait a second. You know what the worst thing for a married person to do? You know what the worst thing is? Act like they're single. The worst thing for a married person to do is act like they're single. Some of you know people that way. I know people that way. I have friends. They get married. They sign the, the paperwork. They do all of that. But then they, they don't, their life doesn't change much. I can't tell you how many divorces I have witnessed among people in my age group. Because um, they get married, but there's no, they, they never stopped being single. And that's a problem. When we get into a relationship with Christ, it should be a growing alignment with him. Me and my wife are, they say you, (laughs) I use this joke all the time, and it's just as funny every time I say it. (laughs) They say the longer you're with your spouse, the more you look like them. And my wife is so blessed. She is so blessed. Hallelujah. But there should be a growing alignment. We should be getting closer to the same page. Six years in, we are closer to the same page than we were when we started. And so this relationship with Christ should not be a slice. This relationship with Christ is not. So if you're a Christian in the room, Christ should not be a section of your day. He should be all day. He shouldn't be a part of your marriage. He should be at the foundation. Your marriage should rotate around it. He's not just at church. He's at your workplace. He is everywhere. He is everything. He is all. Not a part. And we should be in growing alignment with him. Somebody say, what's this got to do with Titus? That was a lot to say, so you don't have to say it. 
It's a tough crowd this morning. Um, Titus um, found found himself in a church where this was a problem. And Titus unpacks the whole book, all three chapters, unpacks this idea of how gospel belief should impact gospel behavior. Titus unpacks the link between how gospel belief should impact gospel behavior. And so just to give you an overview, Titus is a letter. Any letter writers in here? Does anybody still do that? This is an email. Paul sends this email to Titus. And it's what they call a pastoral epistle. Okay? The book of Titus is a pastoral epistle or a letter. And he's before, um, it's written from Paul. Everybody say Paul. To Titus. And Titus... Uh, Paul calls a true child in the faith. Okay? So Titus to Paul is likely someone that came to know Christ while Paul was doing his ministry. So Paul is traveling around telling people about Christ. Titus comes to know Christ and just goes after Christ so diligently that that he becomes like an apprentice, Uh, a he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't a, a, a disciple really, but he, he was what they call a, um, an apo- apostolic delegate. Have you ever heard that term? So basically, Paul would use Titus to go fix things. Titus was a fixer. In life, you, are, you have two kinds of people. You have people that stir the pot, and then you have the people who try and make things better. I don't know where you fall in there. Paul was a pot stirrer. Paul made big, bold, crazy statements about Christ and changed regions and nations. Titus was, he just was gifted at going in and fixing problems. And so here in Titus, what we have is have you ever been to Crete? Anybody been to Crete? No. Okay, well, it's an island right below Rome, okay? So you have um, Paul traveling all through, and then you have this little island, and they say in the Bible that the church, um, when it first started in Acts, there were some people there from Crete. So Crete was this island that was known for lying. All of us just thought of somebody. Crete was known for lying. A matter of fact, to lie in the region was known to Cretize. Just lie. And so there became some problems. He, he ex- so you have Titus. He's exceeding. Um, you see him in, in 1 Corinthians. You see him in Galatians. All through the Bible, helping Paul solve problems in different churches. And there was a problem in Crete. So Paul, Timothy, Titus, they go to Crete. They start some churches. They leave. I'm just trying to lay this out for you. They leave. 
Paul gets wind that there are problems on the island of Crete. There's a group of people called Judaizers. The circumcision party is also how they're known. And they were coming in and basically adding things to the gospel. It wasn't Christ alone. It was, you've got to not only accept Christ, but you also have to be circumcised, which totally pushed aside a huge group of people. So there was a lot of false teaching going on. And so Crete had some structure problems and they had some false teaching problems. In chapter 1, Titus gets his instructions. Paul says, hey Titus, how you doing? What's up? Here's some instructions for you. And then in chapters 2 and 3, he gives instructions for the church. And the whole problem, the whole problem, this whole island had was that Christ became a part and not all of their lives. What's the danger there? What is the danger there? Because we can get convinced because we take on certain attributes. Like we learn to raise our hands during that one part of the worship song. We learn some Christianese, as I call it. Hey, brother, I'm doing mighty fine. But then our lives outside of these walls and around our church friends become, um, becomes watered down and I'll tell you why I'm concerned look at your neighbor say he's concerned this morning I'm afraid that most of us live in such a way that people outside of here would never know that we acknowledge Christ it spews out of a mouth on Sunday morning and then when we get out of here no one would know that you're a Christian this was the problem, and this filtered into the church. So this is why it's dangerous. You start living like that, and all of a sudden your whole church becomes people who think it's okay to sin and live like the devil as long as you check certain boxes. This was the problem in Crete. And so for the... Some of you, I want you to go ahead, grab the Bible in front of you. If you don't have it out, I want you to bring it out. We're going to read the whole book. We're going to read the whole book of Titus because I want you to see all of it. It's going to take us five minutes. Can you give it five minutes? Give it five minutes. And then you'll see where we're going. Um, today we're talking about the first four verses. Um, next week, uh, Woody Jones. Everybody say, Woody Jones. Woody Jones is preaching next week. I'll still be here, but um, Woody Jones is going to cover five through nine. And then we're just going to walk through this book together. And what I pray is that by the end of this five weeks, our life is not just part Jesus, but all Jesus. I can tell you nothing. I can never give you any better advice than to let Jesus have all of you. And I would say, 
that someone who is Christian is all Jesus. Okay? All Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not walking out imperfectly some things. But Jesus infuses all of your life. And not just what you decide he can have. Chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll just read this together. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to you, uh, sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted for this work for him. I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace and peace. I was going to read the whole book. I just realized it's like uh, 1057. So I'm going to get right into the meat because I don't want you to forget. that There's three things. If you're following along in your handout, there's three things we're going to cover. I'll give you them right out front. Paul lays out God's promised plan right here in these first four verses. Okay? And what it includes is participation It provides grace, and it provides peace. So God's promised plan. Have you ever asked the question, what's God's plan for my life? If you have asked that question, I'll tell you what it will include. It will include your participation, and throughout it, he will provide you grace and peace. And that's what he's promising Titus here. Paul has found out all this junk is going on at this church, and so he writes Titus this letter and basically opens up with this thought that, hey, listen, brother, greetings to you. This is the big plan. You know what the big plan of God is? Jesus Christ. The big plan of God is Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for your sin to reunite you, to put you back in relationship with him. That is the big plan. And Paul, right out front, says a couple things that I think are very important. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know what an apostle is? Apostle just means this guy was sent by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ personally sent Paul. And many of us, when we talk about participation in God's plan, we're wondering what we should do. Um, God could have done this any kind of way. When we talk about God's plan, God could have done it any way he wanted to do it. But instead, we all have a role to play in it. He has invited you and I in to play a part in his promised plan. And and the way I kind of think of it many times is if we need, if I need to do something at the house, say I need to move a piece of furniture. 
I go to move this piece of furniture, and inevitably, inevitably I have a child. Her name is Macy, she, which means she is constantly in the way of everything. She comes up to me, and she says, Dad, can I help? She can't lift the couch. I'm thinking, what can you do to help? So you know what happens? You know what happens? I lift up the couch, and I just bring her right alongside me, and, and, and I say, hey, help me lift this couch. And, and she'll grunt, and she'll groan, and she'll help me lift this couch. Could I have moved the couch on my own? Yes. But I invited her in. And to Macy, she'll do the same thing. Like if she asks me, people at my house just think I sit down to get back up. People think I just sit, when I sit down, it is, sign, it is a sign to ask me to do something. That is how it works at my house. And so I'll sit down. Hey, Dad, can, I, can you help me with something? And so I'll, I can get up on my own. But I'll say, help me. Help me get up. And she'll help me get up. Listen to me. God's plan, he has invited you in. To help with. If you think you can't do it on your own, you can't. If you think that it's an impossible task, it is by yourself. Macy would not be able to lift that couch on her own, but, but with God, he has invited me in and I can just see him as I pursue the things of God, pursue his plan. He invites me in and it is his power and his strength and his direction that makes it all happen. And what an honor and a pleasure and an excitement that he would bring me alongside him in this process. We can't do it, but he can. I think often of our church. When, when, when we started looking at revitalizing this church, and there were like 30 people here. It looked to be an impossible task. It looked to be an impossible task. But look, this is what the Lord did. He invited us in to his plan. And he invited us in and we lined up right next to him. And he did all the heavy lifting. He carried all the weight. He moved the couch. He pushed us forward. He put us where we are today. Many of us are wondering why God's plan for our life isn't happening, and it's because we haven't invited him into the process. You're trying to do it by yourself. You feel the tug. You feel the pull. And God's trying to woo you in. He's trying to pull you in, but you're so stubborn that you think you can do it all by yourself. No, God, I'm going to keep you over here as a part of my life. I'll check the box of church attendance, and I'll read my Bible in the mornings. But I can tell you, his plan, in its beauty, it doesn't require you, but he's invited you in. He's, hear me, you, I'm not just generalizing the church. If you're sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, he wants you. I think of Uncle Sam, he wants you. <laughs> July 4th is coming up. I did that on purpose. We can't change hearts. We can't change minds. 
he can. What you cannot do, he can do. That, just because you can't do it shouldn't mean you shouldn't participate, right? Because if you know the God that I know, you know he'll use you. Um, Romans uh, 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. People come to know Christ because we preach the gospel to them. We preach the word of God to them. And that activates their faith. He's invited you to be a part. The God of all creation. Number two. I know you're thinking about potatoes. Just follow me for just a second. Number two, he provides grace. He provides grace. We see here um, in, in verse four, he says, I'm writing to Titus, my true son, in the faith that we share. May God, the Father of Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace. Look, you're talented. Each of us are talented. Some of us are talented teachers. Like we're, we're just really good at bringing people in close and showing them how to do things. Some of us are gifted at that. Some of us aren't. Some of us should not be teachers. Some of us are gifted entrepreneurs. Like you just get ideas and you just take off with them. Like you just are able to generate, these things just work up in your mind. You know that's not normal. Not everybody does that. We're, we're all kinds of gifted. I know one guy in here. Well, there's probably other guys, but I know one in particular, Claiborne Jessup. This man is mechanically inclined. I have been here looking down, trying to figure out what's going on with an engine on our mower, me and another guy. I won't name any names because I'll claim my own stupidity. I won't claim yours. We're looking at this thing, cannot figure it out. Claiborne comes in, and in literally two seconds, he looks down in there and he says, there it is. That belt, gone. Didn't see it, had no clue. He's mechanically inclined. He's gifted. We're all gifted. You know what we're not gifted at? As, as, as many gifts as we have, we are unable to save ourselves. We are unable. You can try, spin your wheels. Look at me this morning. You will not earn your way into heaven. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. I can help a million old ladies cross the street. I can pull a ton of cats out of trees. I can say lots of nice things to people. I can be a nice person. It will not get me across the pearly gates. The reason I say that is because as gifted as Titus was, one thing Paul knew and, and, and Paul needed Titus to understand is that, listen, you're going to need some grace. I'm going, God is going to have to give you some grace to, for this to work. Here's my plan. My plan is to save the lost, to seek and save the lost. This is the plan, to build the church and I feel this pressure all the time. I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm trying to reach this community for Christ through this church. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how talented of a leader or a preacher I am. It doesn't matter how great our worship team is. If God does not give us the grace to do what he's called us to do, 
it's not going to work out. It's his grace. And then he provides peace. He provides peace. Titus is entering a situation, literally a hostile church environment. Some of you have been in those. You ever been in a hostile church environment? Not fun. I can still remember growing up, and I was like a church junkie. Notice I say church junkie. I was not a Jesus junkie. I was a church junkie. I love being at church. And I remember business meetings. And, and some guys, I, vividly, and I won't name his name because you might know him. He's from the Chester area. He, he, would, he would stand, the pastor would be speaking at this business meeting. And this old boy would get irritated and jump up just about six feet out of his pew and start shouting down the pastor from the back. You watch out, pastor. We're going to get you out of here. I'm like cringing behind the hymnals. Just uncomfortable. Some of you have been in those settings. This is what Titus is walking into. The church had no leadership which we're going to talk about next week. We're talking about leadership next week. It's going to be really good. You don't want to miss next week. But the church also had, it was just collision of what was the truth. And there were so many false teachings. This was what Titus is walking into. And I don't know if you've walked into that awkward room. And just the tenseness have you, not even in church. Have you ever just walked into a tense room? Like there's a big elephant there, but nobody wants to say it, and it's just uncomfortable? This is what Titus is walking into. And the one thing that Christ provides that he knows Titus is going to need is peace. Peace in knowing that God is who he says he is. Grace to know that even though he can't do it all, that God can. And as I close, I just want to give you an assurance here of God's plan. Paul says in, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I have been sent to proclaim the faith to those who have been chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, pick this up, who does not lie. God, who, if you're asleep, go ahead and wake up. I need you to hear this before you go home. God, who does not lie. promised them before the world began. Before the world began, he had a plan. That's what this says. Before the world began, he had a plan. He had a plan for you. He had a plan for your life. And as Titus walks in to this environment, Paul writes in this letter, look, brother, this is going to be terrible. Look, but if you jump in, and participate. God will provide you grace and peace. But listen, it's one thing to read this. 
Hear me this morning. It is one thing to read this book. It's another thing for you to hear this morning that God does not lie. What he has promised, he will fulfill. When he promises that he will restore marriages, he will do that. When he promises that he will be with you, he will never leave you nor fail you. When he says that, he's not a liar. Paul says this because these Cretans are known for lying. Their whole lives were false because they put Christ in a box and said, here Christ, I'll give you this part, but I'm going to do the rest instead of Christ being all of it. This morning, God is not a liar. I can't tell you how many times I've been lied to to my face. Let down by people I trusted, even in the church. By people I trusted. My mother never let me down, but I can tell you on multiple occasions how my father did. Friends, that as I've gotten into ministry and I've pursued and made God all, they floated to the side. They said, you know what, if you want to go that way, we're not, I'm not there. I have people desert and abandon me. And there's a reason I'm saying this. It's because they weren't friends to begin with. They weren't family to begin with. And as you sit in this pew and you hear me today, and what we're going to talk about the next four weeks is how we make God everything. How we make God everything. And what I can assure you of is that God does not lie. What he starts, he finishes. When he promises grace and peace, he will give you grace and peace for each season that you walk through. Every season, in and out. When you feel him close and when you don't, he is a God who keeps his promises. And I can't, I'm trying to find other 17 other ways to say this, but I need you to hear just one thing today. God does not lie. He's got a plan. You're a part of it. He's calling you. He's calling you. Not just to give him a compartment to live in, but to make him your everything. That everywhere you go, every word you say gives him praise and he's able to use you through it. Kirsten's going to sing. Would you just bow your heads? What I want you to do this morning, would you just bow your heads and just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart that God would be your all today. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.